Awesome. Man, the vibes tonight. Come on, church. Um, so, yes, as Harriet has said, my name is Rose. And tonight um, I'm going to be sharing with you guys about the really important topic of fishing. So, do we have any fisher people in the house? Anyone here likes to go fishing? <laughs> John, John loves the fishing. Jason loves the fishing. Yes, so good, Scotty, Anna. I have to say, um, one of the like small highlights of my year last year was finding out that Anna Reeve is secretly like a fisherwoman. Um, so good. So, down low fisherwoman. Um, so, for those of you who heard the Max's um, story earlier of discovering a jar of urine in the upper room of their fuddy, um, yeah, a bunch of people in our community um, live in community houses together and one of those is on Cuba Street and I had the privilege of going around to Cuba Street last year to eat freshly caught fish caught that day by Fire Anna um, and it was so incredible and Anna and I are um, yeah, girls from the Bay of Plenty just was meeting Alicia here also from the Bay of Plenty um, and it's just really like unfamiliar for me to eat fresh caught fish here in Wellington normally that's something that kind of happens when I go back up home because um, my dad's quite into fishing. And so I suspect that even if you're not a fisher person here, you know someone that likes to go fishing. Like it might be your nana or your uncle or like your neighbor or you might know Anna. Um, yeah, you, you've got a vibe of those people that like to go fishing. And so I have to say that though my dad is pretty into fishing, I am not much of a fisher person myself. Um, yeah, the smell of fish, plus the like role of being on a boat on the water. Um, yeah, it just gets me going on the old seasick vibes, eh? And it's not very, very pleasant. Also, I'm not a particularly patient person, and I think that's the one thing you need for fishing, just patience. Yeah, the waiting, the uncertainty. And tonight, we are in the fifth chapter of Luke's Gospel, where um, we are going to read about some other fisher people. And... The reason I'm getting you guys to think about like fisher, fisher people, fishermen, fisherwomen, um, is because I reckon fishing people always have a yarn to spin about like, where's the good spot to go? How, how do you go about it? Oh, you've got to go at this time of the day. Oh, you've got to go when the moon is this size because it affects the tide and the fish will be out. There's always kind of a sense of how to do it right. And tonight we're going to be um, looking at an interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter, who's a fisherman, um, where Jesus, a carpenter, kind of tells Simon Peter how to go fishing. So, Luke chapter 5, if you brought your Bible, bring it out. If you didn't, just maybe imagine the scene. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked Simon, he said, Simon, hey, can we put out a little from the shore? And Simon obliged, and, and then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. <coughs> Later, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, Simon, why don't you put down your nets into the deep water here and, yeah, let them out for a catch? And Simon answered, uh, Master, we have been working hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But 
Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so when he had done so, he caught such a large number of fish that the nets were beginning to break. He signaled to his partners at the shore to come out with another boat and help them because they had so many fish. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners were there, also astonished. Then Jesus said to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And as they pulled the boats up to shore, they left everything and followed him. Yeah, and so here we have this scene where these patient, tired fishermen are cleaning their nets on the shore. They have hauled in their nets and they're empty. Their night's work has kind of come to nothing. And, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I get pretty tired being out on the water. So I'm imagining they're kind of tired and a bit dejected. I can remember times of my dad coming back from fishing and just the vibe not being very good. Like, you know, if you've been at it all day and then just haven't caught anything, low morale. And it's into this scene that Jesus walks. We're in the fifth chapter of Luke's Gospel. um, And previously in Luke's Gospel, things that Jesus have been up to including, um, includes getting baptised, spending some time in the wilderness being persecuted by the devil, returning to his hometown, um, preaching a word in the synagogue um, and kind of the people getting a bit riled up about that and attempting to kill him. He sneaks away, makes a bit of a journey up to Capernaum, um, does some more teaching there in the synagogue and um, drives out demons from a man. So it's, it's been a busy time for Jesus in the last little while. Um, And more and more people are hearing about the authority of this man who um, preaches with power in their synagogues and who is starting to heal the sick. And so people are starting to bring um, their friends or their family that are unwell to him. And one of the people that we read in Luke 4 that Jesus healed was Simon's mother-in-law. Jesus went to Simon's house and he healed his mother-in-law. So this has all happened just before Simon has this rough night out fishing. So we know that Simon, when um, Jesus approaches him, he's got a little bit of context for who Jesus is. He knows he has the power to heal, and he's experienced some of Jesus' goodness towards him and towards his mother-in-law. He knows something of who Jesus is. So here is Jesus, um, and on the beach, you've got the crowds who are kind of pressing him, um, for information and he's teaching them and he, he wants to use Simon's boat as a platform to teach from. Jesus asks Simon to offer what he has for Jesus to use. Now I suspect that Jesus actually could have potentially walked on water, just kind of stood there and taught from on the water. Um, you know, he did that later on, could have done that here, or he could have gone about um, teaching some other way. But He wants to invite Simon in to join him. Jesus is giving Simon this little invitation to trust him, and Simon responds. So, you know, as we've read in the story, Simon obliges, they get out on the boat. Um, You know, you can kind of imagine it, maybe rowing out, um, sitting there, rocking on the water, Jesus teaching next to you. Um, And we don't know how long he was teaching for, 
but Simon's probably tired. Um, so the teaching goes on, and then the second invitation comes from Jesus. Oh, Simon, you should let your nets down for a catch. And perhaps the crowd is still on the beach, and they're watching to see what could happen. Will Simon fail again? I mean, I heard he was fishing last night and didn't catch anything, so what's going to happen now? Or maybe by this time the crowd is dispersed, there's just a few of the other fishing mates on the shore doing their things with the nets, and there's just this moment between Simon and Jesus. But you can imagine that request hanging in the air. And so this is my first point, that Jesus' invitations to us won't always make sense. In this scripture, we have a carpenter asking Simon, a fisherman, to let down his nets. As I've said, Simon has just spent the whole night fishing and caught nothing. He's also just cleaned his nets. So kind of in terms of his logic, it doesn't really make sense. It's not really great timing to just throw the nets back out again. There's this beautiful moment where Jesus looks at Simon and asks him to do something. And Simon figures out what he's going to do about it. Can any of you relate to that? A moment where Jesus asks you to do something, invites you to something, and you've got to figure out what you're going to do about it. You can probably think of a time where you've you've started to to go through that process of, ah, that just seems like quite a weird request, Jesus. Or like, the timing is quite bad. I can definitely relate to this. Um, in a number of ways, but just a few little examples when Jesus has been like, you should say sorry. I didn't really want to say sorry. Or Jesus has said, you should go and see that person over there. They're walking away from you, but they need someone to talk to, and it's you. And that was inconvenient to me. And I think all of us have these moments where um, maybe it's like a scripture that we're reading or a sermon um, or a word from a song or a moment in prayer where We get a sense that Jesus is inviting us to something. Yeah, and we've got to figure out what we do about it. Our our kind of arguments against that could be, I couldn't do that, Jesus, not me. Or, oh, Lord, the timing is terrible. Or, like Simon, I've tried this before and it didn't work. So Simon's response is to tell Jesus that he has some doubts about this invitation. Like, he is honest. He wants Jesus to know that he has, in fact, been fishing all night and he didn't catch anything. It didn't work before, so it probably won't work again. Why would this time be different? But alongside this, he says, because you say so, I will put down my nets. Because you say so. Because it's you who are asking me, Lord. And this is my second point that it's because we have seen the character of Jesus that we can trust him. Who Jesus is, is the critical difference in this story. So who does Simon know Jesus to be? Well, as I've said, Simon um, has seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He's kind of lent him his boat. um, And he's seen him teaching the crowds. By now, Simon has a bit of a concept um, that this man, Jesus, is, is not really an ordinary man. He has seen something in him which leads him to trust a little, to risk a little on his goodness. So Simon takes the risk against his own judgment of the situation. He takes a small step of trust. 
He takes a step of faith. He's obedient. He's humble enough to say, I might not be right about this, so I'll give it a try. Whatever you want to call it, his response to Jesus is yes. Because you say so, I will put down my nets. Who Jesus is, is what matters. Simon's relationship of trust with Jesus is the thing that leads him to saying yes. So point one, when Jesus invites us, it won't always make sense. Point two, but it's because we have seen the character of Jesus that we can trust him when it doesn't make sense. We can trust Jesus even, um, you know, even when things are nonsensical. See, one of the things I'm learning is that when you really trust someone, you're willing to do what they ask without having all the information. When you really trust someone, you're willing to do what they say, even when it doesn't make sense to you. And this is the kind of trust that Jesus invites us to have in him. So in all of our relationships, trust is something that has to be built, right? Through experience and knowing the kind of character and and integrity of someone else. And um, yeah, just a kind of funny way that you see this is in like workplace outings, um, where people are like, let's go for a team building day and do activities where we can learn to rely on one another. And the idea is that they build this kind of, um, they fill up the kind of jar of trust so that um, in the rest of your work life, you can kind of not be so cagey about working with one another. You can kind of rely on one another. Or at youth group, where you have to do trust falls and see if someone will actually catch you. (laughs) There's this saying from this cool course called Soul Tour coming to you at Blueprint um, in June 2019. Um, Everyone is trustworthy somewhere and no one is trustworthy everywhere. People can be unreliable in places. And so part of getting to know someone is figuring out where they're reliable. Like Scotty just posted on my timeline this week about um, some kind of fake science around like people that are always late being happier and living longer. Um, I am not reliable to be on time to your event. Um, but I am reliable in other ways. <laughs> and so, with Simon Peter, he has seen that Jesus is this one that brings life where he goes. And it's because of that that Simon follows Jesus' kind of nonsensical instructions to throw down the nets. And so too with us. It's because we know something of Jesus, because we have encountered his light, because we have seen this glimmer of his love for us, because we've tasted some of his goodness and his generosity, that we can know his heart towards us is good. That can become the basis of trust. That can become the basis of responding to his invitations, even when we don't have all the information. Trust is growing by experiencing someone and knowing, um, kind of coming to know them in a way um, where you can kind of hedge your bets on the fact that their intentions are good towards you. But if you only ever risk a little in any relationship, you never um, actually get into that place of trusting, right? There's always a point where you've got to just push out a little bit more and see if that trust is um, worth investing there. 
And that's what we see going on here between Jesus and Simon Peter. So um, throwback to last Sunday, Scotty talked about um, how God was always the one who makes the first step towards us. He has gone this, the whole way um, in making a way for us to connect with him. We have this whole gospel story and we know that Jesus died for us to redeem us. Jesus came as a saviour to all peoples to show the character of God. To show that God is worthy of our trust. In Romans 5 we read, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. We have been justified in Jesus. In Jesus we see that God said a full yes to us. You! Yes! You! Yes! But still, God doesn't force us to love him. Force us to trust him. Like any true or good relationship where there is respect, there always has to be this choice to say yes. And that is the role of trust. And so in Christianese, like kind of Christian lingo, we use this word faith, which can be a little bit like, what does that mean? And I want to suggest that trust is kind of one way we can think about that. We have been justified in Jesus, but it's through trust that we choose to opt in to that, to respond to that invitation. So that might be something that... um, yeah, when you come across that word faith, think, of, think about trust. Um, kind of put that in there and see how that works for you. God made, makes himself vulnerable in Jesus and extends an invitation to us to keep journeying in a relationship of trusting him. To respond to the invitations Jesus extends to us. Invitations which are always about coming into deeper trust and knowing of Jesus. So a few weeks ago, um, I was talking about the love languages. And um, just a kind of slight heretical theory here. Um, come, on. come on. I reckon one of God's love languages is quality time. God wants to hang out with us. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to be with him always. <laughs> he doesn't invite us to do things simply for our functionality. It's not like, oh, Simon Peter, I just want your bow. No. (laughs) He invites us because he wants us. He wants to do things with us because they are an opportunity for us to partner with God, to see more of God's character and and what he's doing um, kind of through those things together, build our relationship with him. In Jesus, we see that God is longing to bring people into relationship with himself. God's invitation to us, God's invitations to us come from a desire to have a deeper relationship of trust with him, to know him more. And so back to our story. Jesus asked Simon to put down the nets and it's this opportunity for Simon to trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. And it becomes a way for Simon to see more of of Jesus' character. What happens um, is that we see the situation that's kind of beyond Simon's expectations. And they have this enormous catch that comes up. More than his boat can handle. 
more than the second boat can handle. So many fish that the boat nearly sunk. This is the catch of the lifetime. This is the fishing story of a lifetime. Can you imagine? Fishermen are known for their hyperbole. Oh, mate, it was just such a huge fish. There was just two boats full of fish. So many fish. Oh, you, you had to be there. He would just put down our nets and, oh, you wouldn't believe it. And I can kind of imagine this because a couple of years ago I was paddling on um, a river with a friend and we had capsized and then we, we, when we flipped the boat back over we kind of forgot to properly bail the water out. And so we were paddling along and we came across more rapids, we're like, okay, all good. And then took on a bit more water. The boat got like a bit lower in the water. We're like, okay, we're like nearly at the end. Okay, you're just going to keep going over some more rapids. Okay, now the boat is seriously low in the water. Got to the point where like one of us is bailing the water out and the other one is just paddling hard for the shore. (laughs) And this is what I imagine it was like for these fishermen. They are hauling ass back to the shore, worried that they might actually sink as the boat is laden with fish. Overwhelmed by this miraculous, outrageous catch. This generous and bizarre act of Jesus, which emerged from Simon's faith. And so they're back at shore, and Simon just sinks to his knees on the shore of the lake, shocked at the kindness and generosity and holiness of Jesus. This kindness of Jesus leads him to repentance. In light of this holy man who has healed his mother-in-law, who has kept company with him and has now blessed him with this generous, crazy portion of fish, he feels his unworthiness. He is a smelly fisherman encountering God. And within Jewish culture, the idea of um, needing to be clean and the kind of um, way you had to go about that was super important. If you weren't clean, you couldn't come before God. That was the deal. And so as a Jewish man, Simon realizes he is encountering um, this powerful man, Jesus, who is somehow God, is, is from God at the very least, and he is afraid. He's suddenly conscious probably of all of the kind of shameful, difficult things in his life. And it's just been given this gift from Jesus, which he doesn't deserve. But Jesus sees right to his core and he says, don't be afraid. So even when we are trusting Jesus, we can feel afraid. Even when Jesus is right there, we can feel fear. And this is my third point tonight. Here the call of Jesus to have courage. In response to how we see Jesus um, at work, don't be afraid. When Jesus invites us to follow him, don't be afraid. When Jesus invites you to do some really weirdly badly timed crazy thing, don't be afraid. Take heart, take courage, and don't listen to the voice of fear. Because Jesus is longing constantly to invite us into deeper relationship with him. But in order to experience that depth of relationship, we will always need to take a little risk. Because that's just how trust works. And so, in the interest of this being a three-point sermon, point one, Jesus' invitation, um, invitations to us won't always make sense. Point two, it's because we know Jesus' character that we can trust him even when it doesn't make sense. 
Point two and a half. When Jesus invites us to trust him, it's because he wants to have deeper relationship with us. And point three, when fear rises, hear the call of Jesus to have courage, to trust who Jesus is, and take a step deeper. And so I just want to finish with a little quote that I recently pinned to um, the pin board in the room that Alana and I share. It goes something like this. Live and pray with a stubborn expectation of God's generosity. Cultivate an entire lifestyle built around taking risks on God's generosity because that is the best way to grow trust. And it was not but an hour um, from when I wrote that, that some difficult circumstances came to plague the renting situation in our house. And I was like, ah, oh, why did I pin that to my pin board? Um, but through the Lord's miraculous provision, um, we are able to stay at our house, even though for about a week it looked like we will have to move out and try and find a new place to establish our hospitable, intentional Christian community, um, which caused me a little bit of stress. But, um, yeah, God is good, and that situation worked out. And, um, yeah, this sermon's already over time, so I'll spin you that yarn of a coffee sometime if you want to hear some more. Come around for dinner, 15A Kensington Street. And so, yeah, I think that there are three invitations from this sermon. One is to glimpse, if you haven't before or if you need to again, to glimpse and encounter something of Jesus' character. We believe that God is here tonight and wants to reveal himself to us. And so, um, and worship, ask for that, seek that out. Um, Come and get prayer, prayer by the cross for that. The second thing is to hear Jesus' words. Do not be afraid. Have courage. And the third thing is that I'm betting that there will be some people in this room who feel like you've had a specific invitation from Jesus at some point, which doesn't make sense to you. And I would say, friends... Um, join Simon Peter in saying, because you say so, Lord, I will let down my nets. Mm. 